Hello, Cryptonauts, and welcome back to another episode of Cryptocurrency Chat. I'm your host, Jake Chaparelli, with my co-host, Blockchain John, here on this episode number 494. We're getting so close to 500. And yep. today is March the 5th, March the 5th of 2023, Sunday. So we will be doing This Week in Crypto Twitter as well as This Week in Coins to start off the episode. Take it away, John. All right. This week on Crypto Twitter, lawyers lay into SSC. Elon Musk cools on crypto. Even though it was the first two consecutive weeks of losses this year, Crypto Twitter was largely unfazed. Instead, a host of other topics took center stage this week. On Monday, a crypto-savvy lawyer who tweeted under the handle at MetalLawMan took aim at the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, Chair Gary Gensler for his agency's opaque approach to crypto and for the SEC's belligerent regulations by enforcement strategy. Three tweets into his thread, he summarized the salient point of his criticism of Gensler. Here's a tweet there from MetaMan Law, or MetaLawMan. Number three, Gary Gensler has absurdly claimed that the 1946 Howey case about orange groves makes it abundantly clear which digital assets qualify as security. Number four says, given the pattern we have seen under Gensler's administration, Gary will let all of us know when the SEC had made up its mind about Ether by suing somebody for issuing or trading Ether. Yep. Exactly. The SEC made the rounds again later that day on legal Twitter when lawyer Lisa Rubin commented on the agency's lawsuit against Terraform Labs, the company that created the collapsed algorithmic stablecoin UST. Later in the thread, Rubin tweeted, The strangest argument is that UST is a security because it can be traded for other securities. Remember, these are just allegations. A court has not ruled on these claims. Exactly. Following day, Crypto Sleuth at Zach XBT tweeted news of a multi-billion-dollar heist on Algorand. And here is that tweet from Zach. I have I haven't seen many posts about this on CT yet, but it's suspected over 9.2 million dollars uh, has been stolen on Algorand as a result of this attack from February 19th to 21st. This is actually one of the reasons that right. lately uh, Algorand hasn't been tradable. Like I, I've been moving Algorand around because I like to use it, but certain places aren't letting you trade it. <laughs> mm. That same day, Zach XBT replied to a multi-tweet thread by blockchain researcher Ivor Egamberdiev that accused trading firm Jane Street Group of having a massive hand in the collapse of UST. The blockchain detective concurred and shared a screen grab which he appears to have messaged Terra CEO Do Kwan around the time of UST's collapse, arguing that Jane Street Group's trading con contributed to the spectacular DPEG. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know anything about this. I've never heard about this uh, Jane Street Group's trading. Well, there's all kinds of people out there with all kinds of uh, nefarious, you know, intent. Popular crypto exchange Coinbase that day announced a new political crypto lobbying initiative called Crypto 453. Hey, more lobbying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which aims to guide policymakers toward drafting pro crypto policies if and when they do start formulating comprehensive crypto legislation. Hey, we'll give you a bunch of, of UST if you just do stuff for us. <laughs> yeah. 
NFT collection Bitcoin Punks post mammoth volumes on Tuesday, according to NFTstatistics.eth. Here is that tweet from NFTstatistics.eth. says, quietly, Bitcoin Punks just did 1,000 ETH of volume in one day, and it wasn't even eligible for airdrop farming. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Dogecoin creator Billy Markson, who is a fervent no-coiner, jumped on a thread start, uh, started by MicroStrategy chairman slash Bitcoin bull Michael Saylor to argue that if Bitcoin isn't a security, then Dogecoin isn't either. Exactly. Completely agree. Also that day, Visa's head of crypto, Koi Sheffield, <coughs> took uh, umbrage with a Reuters article saying that the payment giant was halting its crypto drive. Sheffield argued that however the industry evolves, blockchain will certainly have a space in the next generation of commercial fintech. On Thursday, John Riesing, co-founder of the open source user-friendly blockchain developer toolkit StackUp, um, and enthused about the user friendliness of the latest Ethereum improvement proposal. And here's that tweet from John Rising. <coughs> Rising. Uh, this is a huge step challenge in how users interact with blockchain. Users won't need to understand how blockchains work just to use them safely. Part of its genius is that it doesn't require the blockchain itself to do anything. Instead, it uses high level infrastructure so it works on any EVM chain today. That's great. Finally, Tesla slash SpaceX slash Twitter CEO and Bitcoin slash Dogecoin investor Elon Musk appears to have grown cold towards crypto. And here is that tweet from Elon Musk. Quote, I used to be in crypto, but now I got interested in AI. <laughs> right. Satan. Musk yeah. was awesome. <laughs> Musk was into AI long before he was into crypto. Yeah. And that is a true statement. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the, the it, I still think it's funny. Was it? It was uh, Sarah Silverman that says Elon Musk is the world's richest in uh, incel. <laughs> like, how can you still be so rich and so and have so many kids and still be an incel? Anyways, moving on. This week in coins. First two weeks straight losses in 2023 Bitcoin and Ethereum dip. What? Dip? Why is that even possible? Oh wait, it's just, I don't even know. It was the second consecutive week of straight losses for leading cryptocurrencies. The start of the third month of the year comes back for the first two weeks of losses in 2023, considering that the end of 22, 2022 that is, was a virtual freefall for the whole market. It's too early to say whether crypto has stumbled back into the woods or not. The pullback this week appeared to be a reaction to the news of the crypto bank Silvergate, which we have talked about pre-show, delaying filing its annual 10K report with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, causing its stock price to drop 31% in after-hours tradings on Wednesday. Coinbase, Tether, and a plethora of other crypto companies were quick to cut their ties with the beleaguered crypto bank. <laughs> uh, it sucks to be them. you. Them. I want to interject that... Uh that uh, uh, Marathon Digital as well is not reporting their fourth quarter uh, uh, reports. Yeah, well, so there's other companies out there that are in trouble as well. So we'll see what happens if 
if they end up coming out publicly and they're in the the negative, it's probably going to affect the market. Yeah. And which is which is worse, down. not reporting or uh, reporting and having a negative report? <laughs> I prefer negative report because yeah. that means things are going to go down and I get to stack more sets. Well, not just that, but uh, not reporting will get you in trouble with the SEC. Uh, Bitcoin dropped 6.3% over the last week and currently trades at about 22.3. While Ethereum uh, weathered the news a little bit better, sinking just slightly, slightly less than 5% to hit only about 15.60, according to CoinGecko. Several leading cryptocurrencies dropped in value by double-digit percentages, including Cardano, which fell about 11% to 33.9 cents, that is 33.339 dollars. Polygon dropped 14.5% to just under $6. Avalanche sank 16% to roughly $16.50. Cosmos Hub depreciated about 12% to about $12. Chainlink also dropped 12% to about $7, just under $7. Solana didn't fall as far, dropping about 10.8% to roughly $21 at the time of this writing. Despite this mysterious outage this week that took the network offline for 20 hours, the Solana Foundation is currently investigating the incident. As in, their first issue was the website going down. The second one was actually the crypto going down. <laughs> That's what you get for having a centralized uh, coin. Well, P POS coin, that is. We all know what POS means, not just proof of stake. <laughs> After posting some blistering gains two weeks ago, storage protocol Filecoin dropped 21% to about $6. This, there were no significant gains among any of the leading cryptocurrencies this week. And that's, that's it, the one coin that did go up was NEM or XEM coin. It went up about 50%, but then it promptly dropped right back down again. It almost felt like a pump and dump scheme. Anyways, <clears throat> regulators. There were lots of talk in political circles across the globe that made crypto uh, fans a little uneasy this week. First, the managing director of the International Monetary Fund of the IMF, Kristalina Georgieva, told a Bloomberg reporter on Monday that if the regulation is slow to come, the crypto assets become a higher risk for consumers and potentially for financial stability. The option of banning cryptocurrency should not be taken off the table. France's National Assembly voted on Tuesday to adopt a bundle of European Union laws, according, or including an amendment to clamp tighter requirements on new players looking, on, looking to operate in the French crypto market. The bill now only requires President Macron's uh, signature to be approved into law. Stateside on Monday, Coinbase announced its delisting of BUSD, a dollar-pegged stablecoin created by rival exchange Binance. The news came two weeks after stablecoin issuer Paxos said it would end its relationship with Binance after getting hit with a lawsuit from the SEC in over issuing the stablecoin. The SEC accuses Paxos of violating investor protection laws. Meanwhile, the SEC regulation by enforcement read crypto clampdown. Strategy continued apace this week with Robinhood announced on Tuesday it would it was subpoenaed by the federal regulator over trading apps, supported cryptocurrencies, custody of cryptocurrencies, and platform operations. So the SEC is finally kicking people while they're down without really explaining what they're doing, which isn't really anything new, sadly. <laughs> Anyways, um, I wanted to talk about this thing about Tether, and this is... This other piece of news here is um, something I'm really a little disturbed about. In particular, 
that uh, apparently when Tether was trying to get going in the early days, let me just read the headline here. Tether used fake documents to open bank accounts. This is according to an article from the Wall Street Journal. And let me make it clear up front. This Wall Street Journal is the only article that says about this. All the other articles that t- talk about this are just referencing the Wall Street Journal article. There's no one else that's wrote about this. So how do we know it's really true, right? Other than just what Wall Street Journal is claiming. What are they claiming? Well, it's not unreasonable to say that this might be the case. And I'm not saying that Chinese people are just naturally uh, liars. They're not. But this issue seems to have started in China. Citing an email, the Wall Street Journal reported that one major Chinese trader tried to circumvent the banking system by providing fake sales invoices and contracts for each deposit and withdrawal. And this is the the, the issue seems to start. Um, and uh, Paolo Arduino says, I'm at Plan B anniversary in Lugano. It's so much energy. People are excited to talk about Bitcoin. While I was on stage, I heard some clown honks. <laughs> Pretty sure it was the Wall Street Journal. As always, a ton of misinformation, inaccuracy. Poor guys must be difficult to decide the better. Maybe. Anyways, he's accusing the Wall Street Journal of being liars. And while not wholly inaccurate and misleading, uh, there is some truth to what's going on here. Just because uh, you think that something is false doesn't mean it is false. Just because you personally believe something is you know, the way it is doesn't mean that that's not true. Um, and after seeing all the things that we've seen with USD's collapse, that's UST, the Tether, uh, not Tether, but um, Luna, Terra, uh, stablecoin collapse, and now we're seeing uh, other things being you know, inundated like Binance USD going away, it makes you wonder. I, I even myself wondered this when it came to Celo's stablecoin. And when I looked into it, I noticed that Celo was backed 60% by itself. This is what caused Terra to crash. Now, we do know that there was some huge, heavy trading against Terra, as was noted in the previous articles. Um, but the thing that is most just terrifying in general is that if you're backed by yourself, then you're not actually backed by fiat. And, and the whole point of a stablecoin is to be one-to-one to the, to the thing for which it is based. And it, it just bothers me to see them going, well, it's fine. We're backed by these other things. Like, like, if there's a run, and there was, on the coin, it's going to collapse your entire uh, framework. You're going you're gonna, to, you're gonna, uh, you know, what's the word? Uh, implode. And that's what happened to Terra. Terra imploded. And then everything else started collapsing. So it's... If it's all smoke and mirrors and it's all just a dog and pony show that your your existence is based on, then when somebody actually pulls the cover off and so shows that there's nothing behind it, it everyone else is going to go, well, I need to get rid of my investment in this BS. <laughs> Not trying to say it in a worse way. But the fact of the matter is, it's all being said that it's fake. So I don't, I don't, I personally wouldn't want to be involved in it either. Anyways, um, so I, I just wanted to, to point out that the accusation of the Wall Street Journal is apparently something is going awry with uh, Tether and that Tether may not itself be legitimately backed, uh, at least in China. So moving on to uh, charitable giving, which I, I personally think is a very, very good thing to see coming up. Um, 
Charitable crypto giving continues through the bear market. Crypto donations still buoy humanitarian relief efforts in disaster and war zones. And we probably are aware of this last year, uh, right after uh, Ukraine started getting bombed and, and invaded by uh, Russia. Uh, I, you know, they lost a lot of their infrastructure functionality. And how, how was it dealt with? What was the other place, John? It was, uh, was it Fiji or uh, American Samoa that was uh, inundated by a, um, an earthquake and it caused mass outages? Yeah, yeah that and the, um, the whole protest over the Canadian border. Well, yes, the Canadian border protest. So in all these situations where there's um, a, a kind of a major uproar going on, um, a lot of times when there's a cutoff of uh, certain coins available to certain users, well, their own bank accounts in this case, um, how do you send money, right? You can send through uh, charities, but if the charities can't even get there, how does the money get there? <laughs> so what was happening, what, what actually happened in particular, Ukraine was, was it uh, several million dollars? It was like two million initially, and then I think it was... Uh, finally ended up being roughly right around $10 million was sent to the Ukraine um, in the early days of uh, the Russian invasion. And it was sent in a whole bunch of different types of coins, not just Ethereum and Bitcoin, but all kinds of different coins were sent to uh, various addresses that were available in the Ukraine to get money to those people, which is great. And we've also seen the same thing in, in earthquake-torn Turkey. I mean, their infrastructure was shut down, too, by the earthquake. Mm -hmm. And so what's the great thing about that? Mm -hmm. Well, crypto isn't affected by uh, <laughs> by earthquakes, fortunately. In, so. Endowment being the uh, 501, 501c3 nonprofit organization. Right, and yeah, endowment. Hit Turkey. So, yeah, it's great to see that this is still the case. And even though the bear market has, what people are realizing is, yes, the value of your coin may have fallen, but the value of your heart has never, dec never declined. And so it's great to see that people are still trying to help despite the bear market and despite these horrific events in the world. So if there's anything good about uh, crypto, and I know there's way more than just this, um, it's great to see that, people have realized the utility of crypto is you can get around banking systems that would otherwise have not just prevented you from sending money, but prevented you physically from sending money because there was just no, uh, no mode of sending. Now there is a mode of sending. So uh, was it, there was, what was the CEO that was saying, I can't remember what her name was that said that as long as you can remember your 12 key, uh, um, password, you can never, you don't even need to have a wallet. <laughs> I thought that was such brilliant. It's like, yeah, just remember your password, and as long as no one can break that information out of you, you can you can go anywhere in the world. You pass any, you can take any amount of money with you anywhere in the world, uh, without having as long as you can get there, and use your twelve key password. So, all right, moving on to a next uh, kind of a revamp of Tornado Cash. Uh, I think it's it's. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about the donation stuff, John? No. Okay. Um, so Tornado Cash is the, um, uh, well, it was banned last year by uh, the Fed. It's completely taken offline, and that was illegal. Now, I know why. This is the same thing we were talking about earlier. The problem is that uh, the Fed doesn't like you hiding money from it. The U.S. federal government does not appreciate it when you when you make it hard for them to trace where the money's going, because the as it was with I think was it the Patriot Act 
It was all about getting into the back end of banks and, and financial institutions so they could track where the money went. The problem with this is it's not just about tracking terrorists. It's about tracking everyone. And that's the problem with privacy. So this, this group, led by Armin Soleimani, um, an early uh, contributor to NATO, has created a fork that aims to be a better version of the blacklisted Ethereum coin mixer. And uh, the, the privacy herein is um, the Treasury Department move, which was essentially banned Americans from interacting with the app, was criticized not only by many in crypto world, but also politicians like Tom Emmer, who says privacy is normal. And I agree with him. I mean, I'm not necessarily a Republican, but I, I can't I can't believe in privacy. <laughs> so as I was saying, the problem herein is the the perspective of very, very, very few people who are in the government seems to be overriding the public's ideal of privacy. They're like, uh, hey, we need to be able to see when the terrorists are moving their money around. But that also means we need to be able to see what everyone else is doing. Now, they never say that part because they don't want you mm. to think that there's something wrong. They want you to say, well, we're protecting you by protecting you against terrorists. And it's like, right. but... That's the way they always push. That's always yeah. the agenda, man. It's like yeah. you're giving up your, your privacy yeah. when, when, you, when you agree to something like that. Yeah, it's like, what percentage of people that are moving money around are terrorists? And if you really looked at the actual percentage, it would probably be 1% or less. If that. Maybe even a fraction of a percent. Um, and... Does that mean that all the other 99 plus percent people need to have all their information you know exposed? So years ago, <laughs> years ago, I don't know about recently, but years ago, there was an article that came out that actually tracked uh, <clears throat> accounts uh, that use um, mixers. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think Tornado Cash was around; it was other mixers. Right. But obviously, you can see the output address, and so once once it's mixed, you just track output addresses. Yep. And people were trying to find out what people were spending those with, right? Yep. And people were literally going to <laughs> stuff like Overstock and buying like bed sheets, you know, and, and pillows. It's like some mundane stuff. You're just yep. everyday normal stuff. Yeah, well, stuff you like, need that people, norm, yeah, normal like, people need. Yeah, it's so like the majority of stuff that was being transacted from these quote unquote mixed coins were just being used for everyday things. Like there was absolutely nothing there that was suspicious about it. it's like oh yes i'm gonna terrorize people with pillows i'm gonna go pillow fight everybody <laughs> in general the problem of course is the sacrifice of privacy and and so this new tool um privacy pools which is currently just a demo aims to pick up where tony cash left off um uh Soleimani says it is not meant to be a final replacement product it is meant to start a conversation so um, the hope is that regulators are less interested in the sanctioning privacy pool because it helps them accomplish their goals. So it's a fork so and it's what, a new tool. What, what they're utilizing is zero new uh, zero knowledge proofs, which is kind of cool. So um, let's see. It's been a while since I've uh, since I've uh, talked about zero knowledge proofs. Um, <clears throat> imagine you write. Uh, let's see. You write you write your address. Or a terrorist writes an address on a, 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 a uh, an envelope that goes to U.S. Postal, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that this envelope is uh, uh, from terrorists, terrorist uh, propaganda, right? Right, right. Obviously, that goes to the network. People recognize zero proof, uh, zero knowledge proof, recognize that this address is from a terrorist. They don't know how much is in there because obviously it's still mixed, right? It's still private. Yep. Uh, but when you're trying to mix your coins there, 
it will not allow you to mix with terrorist coins. You know, if, if anything, I'll probably spit those coins back out and give it back to them. Like, hey, we're not accepting these. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I got to look a little more into it. But I remember zero knowledge proof being somewhat like that. You know, uh, you're revealing a, a certain layer of information, but not everything. Right. There are ways of making sure that things are not done incorrectly, and if, even if money does get in from what's considered to be a terrorist. Uh, Address. It doesn't necessarily mean that the money is explicitly for terrorist purposes. So, I think I think we, in general the country could learn a lot from just being more proactive and not necessarily relying only on the government to handle everything. I think just allowing the people to be sheep isn't benefiting them anything. <laughs> it's like, one of those. It's one of those. Um... I think I talked about this with you a, a while ago, so it's good to bring it back up. It's when the government comes into a situation like this, it's always a two-sided sword, mm-hmm. right? Yep. There's a two-sided. good thing that they're trying to stop terrorism, but at the same time, you're giving up your privacy. Yep. So you got to be careful with that. Yeah. You got to look into the the lines and to see what they're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. You know? Not yeah, see between the lines yeah, or look or read between the lines. And in general, it's it's a question of what are you sacrificing, and if and is what you're sacrificing ultimately worse than what you're being protected from. So in this case, I think it was worse because, like you said, less than one percent was being used by terrorists. So well, not just that, but it's like just because the government can get in the back door, if there is a back door at all, it also means that bad people can get in the back door. So it's like, as soon as you make a backdoor, anybody can use it, not just the Fed. If the Fed gets compromised, which is less likely, but if it does, and it has been, <laughs> then those those uh, bad actors can then, you know, have complete control over everything. And we just better not to allow it. Just be completely, nope, sorry, there's no access. So let's get to the last bit of the news we have for today. Um, this article comes from the creator of the Metaverse. Um, not creator of Meta, but creator of the term Metaverse from uh, Neil Steffen's book, Snow Crash. Um, He created the term Metaverse and now is joining and supporting the concept that he literally coined and created uh, with his own Layer 1 blockchain. It's a company for the Metaverse called Lamina 1. And Lamina 1 will support the open concept of the Metaverse in general. Um... He's not trying to be a closed metaverse like Facebook. He's trying to be an open, uh, you know, supporting the whole concept of metaverse through his new Layer One uh, blockchain. So I, I'm grateful to see that Stefan <laughs> Stephenson, who of course created this concept, um, is actually supporting it. You know, many, many, many decades later from the original development of his storyline. So um, if anyone hasn't read the book, I highly recommend it. It's a good sci-fi, but um, and obviously, it's indicative to the sci-fi we have of today. Like, all, so many different storylines are based on this, on his uh, original book. Um, a lot of what we think of today is actually based on the concepts that he, even though he didn't really so much make them as just, you know, draw out the ideals of. Um, a lot of a lot of reality today is based on sci-fi of, of yesteryear. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's great to see that... Uh, Stephenson in particular is doing this. So he says, um, one mistake people make, Stephenson said, is to talk about a metaverse or multiple metaverses, which I think is wrong. That's always a signal to me that somebody doesn't get it. 
Stefan's in view, there is one, there's one metaverse like the one internet and companies creating closed metaverse environs aren't getting the point. I would say I would liken his idea ideology to the way that the movie um, Ready Player One ideal uh, ideologies. Um, I don't think I'm saying that word right. Makes the idea idea of uh, into the one universe. You can do everything in this space, and there's only one of it. You know, the universe itself is the one place. That's literally what universe means. And it's great to see that he's saying we don't have. Um, doors to individual metaverses, we have the one metaverse, which is everything. And that's what's so fascinating about his ideology. What's interesting is that he's been working on this for over a year, I guess, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not new, even though it's, I think, the first time that we saw it on, on Decrypt. But it's, it's passed through the news before. Yep. I'm looking at another article from June 11, 2022. Yep. He was talking about um, 11 to 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's he. We we've actually covered it before, um, oh, but it's okay. yeah. I'm not not you know. Obviously, our our methodology has changed. We went in in the past from just reading the articles to now we're just discussing the articles, rather than uh, just reading them verbatim. So it, the the fact of the matter is we've talked about this before and it's becoming more of a reality and it's great to see that it's actually happening. It's not just a it, but the the I think the most important aspect of this of the point of the idea here is not just an article talking about it. It is literally he's saying um, the metaverse is a one is the one place. You know, it's it's like the universe. It's just a virtual version therein, and it's uh, it should be available to everyone. I would say it's more like um, um, was, it, was it Java? What was it called? What was the the Adobe software that that everybody used for so long? Um, ah, I can't think of what it's called because it's been out of use for so long. Um, but instead of making this one version that everyone has to use in order to make an interface, it's the every version. Like we went from HTML to HTML5. HTML5 is the, the latest version of what that previous software was. It's everyone can use it. It's a generalized standard that everyone has access to. And that's what he's trying to create, a generalized standard that everyone can use. That is a brilliant idea. I mean, he's, he's basing it off of his original idea of Metaverse, which I think is fine. Um, and this is what we need to, we need to do in, in, across the board is, is go from a generalized standpoint that everyone has access to the same tools, the same function, and not just a limited scope like Meta, that is Facebook's previous name, um, or the, the name of the company previously named Meta, um, as they are called now. And it's, we just need to get away from that. We just, the closed, um, loop and the closed society of, of Facebook Meta is the wrong ideology, and I think I think this is being proven by the fact that they've lost thirteen billion dollars on their project. Um, if they'd gone into it the way that uh, um, Jack Dorsey went into it, saying that blockchain is a universal tool and we just need to be able to make support for it, then that's the more the better ideal. But you know, Zuckerberg wants to keep all the money for himself, so and his investors do too. So it's it's not about making a tool for everyone to use is about making a tool for just Facebook to use because that's their, that's how the models worked all this time. Stay within the ecosystem, just like Apple. Stay within the ecosystem. Don't go outside the, the walled garden of, of this experience. Anyways, that's about all we have for this week. Um, we have another uh, interview coming up this Thursday, right, John? Yes. 
<clears throat> as we will for the uh, until the end of, the, of March and probably further after that. <laughs> it's going to be Alexis uh, Joker from Polygon Studios. So yeah, check it out on Thursday, 7 p.m. like we always have, and we'll be for until the end of March. Lots of people to interview, lots of guests to have on the show. Hopefully, we can get what's his name, um, Sean Neal back. We kind of missed him. Uh, he had a family emergency. We would have had it last, uh, not last week, but the week before. We did have um, Brick BC uh, on. Uh, Lewis Alexo uh, was on last time. I hope you guys have a chance to to check out his, his guest interview um, that we just finished. But if not, you can always um, check out our Patreon. Get everything that we have on there. Uh, every single full pre and post show commentaries. Uh, you can check us out on YouTube. You're probably watching us there already. But if you're watch- listening to us on Anchor, we thank you. Um, if you would like to support us, we would appreciate it. And you can support us in multiple different ways. <laughs> so uh, thanks, everyone, for listening again. Uh, we will say, as we do at the end of every single show, stack sats and huddle. Adios. Adios.